mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi everyone and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I cannot wait. I'm so excited for you to listen to this. I think, and you don't know which episodes I've recorded so far because I didn't record an order, but I think this might be my favourite episode I might have ever recorded in my short history of podcasting. My guest today is Shopee Delano, VP of Marketing at Charlie Oscar, a new era group of digital consumer brands and founder of her own upcoming workwear brand, Kind Regards. Shopee's internet life began back in 2010 with a fashion blog and YouTube channel that saw her work freelance with the likes of Nike, Puma and ASOS. After a successful stint in academia, she entered the world of startups and venture capital, working with the likes of Depop, Forward Partners and now Charlie Oscar. I originally came into contact with Shopee after her viral open letter to working women. I read it and just had to message her about just how nail on head it was. So we got talking about the topics in my book and her work. I am incredibly excited to have her join me today. Hi, how are you today? I'm good, thank you, Grace. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Welcome to the podcast. I am... I'm really, really excited to have you on. I mean, I've given a little brief about how we kind of e-met each other. This is actually the first time we're even talking um, kind of face to face. But, um, you know, as you know, I was just a huge fan of your open letter, which we'll be going into. Um, and, And we have so much kind of crossover on our thoughts and opinions, so much so that you wrote me the most thoughtful kind feedback email about the book an entire Um, dissertation I think (laughs) (laughs) but it was so appreciated it was one of those emails where you know you receive an email and you just jump straight on and you're like oh my god and I was like really I think I was on Easter day and I was like outside having like a socially distanced like family lunch and I was like wait one sec guys I need to read this oh I love it I love it (laughs) so I'm gonna go straight into the quick fire round um for our working uh, for our yeah, for our working hard section. Good that I know my own podcast. Um, it's just quick fire. Just answer as quickly as you can. So okay. first of all, reading or podcasts? Podcasts at the moment. I don't have any concentration at the moment to read. <laughs> don't know what's um, time blocking or winging it? Time blocking. Absolutely. Airplane mode or notifications on? Airplane mode. Discipline. I can't deal with notifications. More or less than eight hours sleep more ideally but in reality often less yeah I agree office or working from home a mixture can I say that a mixture early bird or night owl early bird I fall asleep so early it's funny do you do you naturally fall asleep early because I I'm like a forced early bird oh yeah like come 9 p.m I'm falling asleep so I I have to work in the morning yeah Oh, that's so interesting. I w- I'm the other way around. So I know I'm most productive when I get up and work from early. But I also know 
that I have a tendency not to think the same in the evening. So I have to like force myself to go upstairs and get into bed and start reading. Um, whereas it just doesn't come naturally to me at all. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. I like, I wish I could work at night because I feel like I'd get more done, but my brain just literally stops working after nine o'clock. Yeah. So firstly, tell us about a bit more about your job. So what you do and how you got to where you are now. Sure. So um, by day, I'm the VP marketing at Charlie Oscar, which is like this new era group of digital consumer brands. So we invest in brands, we acquire brands and we create brands all in house, all under one roof. So um, we use the power of the group and data science to accelerate growth and just foster creativity. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And then by night, um, I guess I'm a founder in stealth, or I'm a fledgling founder. So um, I'm working on my own digital consumer brand called Kind Regards, which is a new age workwear brand for women. Um, and really the impetus behind it is that it's the antidote to traditional workwear and the traditional woman in work conversation, which I think is pretty archaic and outdated and restrictive and just doesn't really reflect the way that women work nowadays. Um, and then after that, I'm either sleeping or making content on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a lot as it is. And um, I mean, I've seen the quality of work from both. And if you were doing any more, then I I'd have to tell you to slow down because you'd be making us all feel shit. Um, but I guess I guess what, you know, VP of marketing is, is huge. That's a, that's a big thing. That's a big like career goal for a lot of people, I guess. Do, do you feel, do you feel kind of like, well, we'll get onto this in a bit, but but just a snapshot. Do you feel successful? Oh God, do I feel successful? Uh, if I'm honest, not really. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm doing great and I'm proud of the work I do and I feel good in my career, but do I feel successful? I don't know, the word successful is a bit loaded for me. So I would say no for now, but maybe we can get yeah. into it later. <laughs> <laughs> we absolutely will be. I just wanted to ask that one there. Um, another question I have for you, if you went back and kind of did your career again, so how, how you've got to where you are now, is there anything that kind of stands out to you that you would do differently? Yeah, absolutely. I would be way less anxious um, and way... I would trust my voice and trust my opinion and trust my intellect in the earlier stages of my career. So I was a mess in the first few state, like first few years of my career. I was so anxious, so worried, so convinced that I was gonna get fired at some point. Um, and it it was it was all untrue, right? Like it was mm. all based on um kind of habits that I'd built during academia. So I was a bit maniacal during academia and I was really obsessed with the external validation of getting an A star or getting a first. And when you enter the workplace, you kind of lose those really clear barometers for how you're doing mm. like there's no a star when you're in work really and that really took its toll and caused me to doubt whether or not I was smart or capable or able to do the job and um yeah I used to have panic attacks all the time and it was all quite a lot um but I really remind myself that um you deserve a seat at the table like you were hired for a reason you have good ideas like you are actually an intelligent person Chauve. um mm -hmm. and yeah i'd encourage myself to lean into that a lot because i had so much unnecessary mental turmoil between like 19 and 23 that i could have just avoided if i was able to 
trust in my inner voice, right? And trust that I deserve to be there. And, and for people who are kind of in that situation now, and kind of, I think it is, you know, we've we've spoken about it before, but I think particularly now, you know, you come out of either school at 16 or 18 or a similar time, and then you also, or you graduate from university, and you kind of now I think especially with the way work is reflected online you almost expect it to kind of slot in like that's the part where you've ticked the boxes now everything just slots together and you kind of expect to fulfill your purpose you kind of expect to um, love your job and never work a day in your life and also feel super confident because you've got the job and, and that's just not the reality at all I guess what would you tell someone or what would you tell younger your younger self so your kind of 21 year old self who was having these thoughts I would tell her that like the workplace isn't as isn't an exact science it isn't a zero-sum game it's not like you win or you lose you succeed or you fail um I would remind myself that it's like a learning and growing process like it's an evolution and failing isn't necessarily a bad thing and you're going to fail a little bit and you're going to succeed a little bit and it's all part of the process and I would just remind myself to try and let go of that yeah the binary idea that you're either succeeding Mm. or failing and lean into the fact that all work experiences are amazing opportunities to grow and learn and lean into that curiosity right like you working is basically um expressing your ideas with somebody else's money on somebody else's reputation <laughs> like <laughs> sounds you, great <laughs> you can have fun with it especially in marketing like it's a playground you know like it, mm. I would remind myself that it's a playground and it's an opportunity for me to learn and grow and um yeah to have fun with it to have fun with that yeah well I think that is one of the things is it's like I, I try especially with with my friends but also with people within my organizations to kind of say push the boat out experiment fail fast just be transparent and be open about it um, because it's not about being like, oh, I haven't done my homework. Be good, be reliable, but also like yeah. have fun exactly yeah. as you say. No, precisely. And that's why like, I really value my younger years as an influencer and a creator and doing all of that kind of stuff alongside the stringent academia route because I was able to flex that part of my brain that said, what if I could try this? Like what would happen if I mm. did that? And bringing something to life by yourself without rules, I'm sure you 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 feel about this but it it kind of instills that behavior into you that anything is possible so that when you do go into the workplace you're more able to um yeah push the boat out and have fun and that's why I would always encourage everybody to experiment outside of work um it's Mm. just it's an amazing opportunity to try something in a low stakes environment and hopefully level up your game within the workplace as well yeah, absolutely. So you started Kind Regards earlier this year, am I right in thinking? Or last year? Yes, uh, earlier this year. Yeah, or end of last year. Okay, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have um, never resonated with something so much. I mean, I messaged you oh, at the time. Yeah. I actually want to read out your open letter so see people can see kind of just why I had to have you on here and why I'm such a big fan of your work. Or would you like to read it out? I feel like people should hear it from you. This isn't me. So, okay. so you go. An open letter to working women. 
Work can feel overwhelming. We're monetizing just about everything, our hobbies, our opinions, our pets, and are side hustling ourselves into a mental health crisis. You can't turn a corner without seeing your peers sign book deals, raise funding, or announce dream come true partnerships, which is equal parts inspiring and overwhelming. Starting your own thing feels more like an expectation than it does a choice. And forget boundaries, personal brands trump those. We can go from laughing at a meme to promoting our latest projects in less than a few scrolls. And according to social media, there's only one way to be a successful working woman. She's usually young, beautiful, and can bounce from mother to mentor to founder with ease. She's a master loyal following, and in part, that's in part thanks to her frequent, almost deifying features in the media. And lest we forget, work for her is a passionate, purpose-filled love nest at all times. Professional women have been chopped, screwed, and flattened into a single, clickable, ad-worthy archetype. Newsflash, everyone loses under girlboss culture. The tiny proportion of women who fit the girlboss bill are idolized by the media and in the process stripped of their ability to make mistakes. Consciously or not, they'll wear their girlboss badge with pride. And in an age of marketable feminism, it helps drive sales and we'd likely do the same in their shoes. The catch? Girl bosses become empty vessels for our collective hopes, dreams, and expectations. It's only a matter of time before these women fall from the pedestal that they didn't ask to be put on, and the rest of us crumble into a heap of anxiety, trying to achieve a glossy rendition of success. Work is way more gritty than it is glossy. At some point during our working lives, we'll likely encounter burnout, sexism, racism, and or the challenge of wanting to both raise a family and maintain your career in a country that only gives you six weeks of decent maternity pay. And what about domestic work, emotional work, and all of the other forms of labor that women contend with outside of, of a professional realm? All of this is omitted from the woman in work conversation. Unfortunately, there's no Forbes 30 under 30 for domestic goddesses or accidental therapists. Work extends beyond the professional and success extends beyond the listicles. All work is valid, interesting and worthy of celebration, be it the money-making kind or the pick-up screaming baby without losing your mind kind. (laughs) Some of the most impressive women in our society are starved of mainstream accolades, and oftentimes success has nothing to do with accolades whatsoever. So we want to start a different conversation, one that opts out of the rat race, burnout culture, and other limiting concepts of success and professionalism. One that puts personal, domestic, and emotional work on the same level as money-making work. One that is informed, honest, and as gritty as it is glossy. One that steers away from recycled clickbaity insights. One where productivity and hard work includes making space for downtime, friends, and family. Generally, one that explores all of the wonderful ways that women are actually working. Kind regards, shopping. <laughs> oh, it's so fantastic. It is, honestly, I mean, producers clapping here. Um, but <laughs> it, it is, I mean, because it almost feels like the open letter is like, it was screaming to be written, like you had to get it out. Yeah. Did it feel like that? Was it something that was kind of like bursting out of you? Yeah, it really, really was. So um, I first started thinking about this stuff, I think it was the summer of 2019 or maybe 2018, when there were all of these media exposés happening, um, detailing the unethical or contradictory practices of female-run or female-founded businesses Mm -hmm. that had built their... 
that kind of had that had built their success through um very like marketable like marketable feminism so um, yeah a lot of female empowerment was baked into their messaging but internally it wasn't kind of stacking up and I wasn't really in it to pass judgment on what these women did or didn't do but what I was more interested in was the cultural mechanism by which these women were built up and put on a pedestal and all of us projected our hopes and dreams onto them and then mm. so quickly these women were ripped from um from glory and yeah. with so little empathy and so little recognition that everybody is a human being it's kind of making someone not human and then being surprised that they're human and obviously there's you know there's a because i've i've thought about it a lot i've read so much about those specific instances the way the media preys on it when it's a female run business is a problem and also the girl boss feminism is a problem yeah. and 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 where where is where is the middle ground and where is it a mechanism due to the culture and where is it something that you know because because also these these problems and these things that do hit the media they like they need to be discussed a lot of the time if they're, you know, if they're unethical practices or if they're poor workplace culture or if they're racism within the workplace, um, then they need to be talked about. But, you know, there's kind of like both of these sides. Like, how do we do it? But how do we do both of those sides? Yeah, well, there is a duality. You're so right. It's like the founders feed into girlboss culture because it's useful, right? It drives sales Mm -hmm. and it builds prestige. But the media also feed into girlboss culture because it drives clicks and reads. So nobody is... um, everybody is responsible for this current state of affairs, right? And I think, um, yeah, it was easier and more trendy to place all of the blame on the women than it was on the media and the cultural conversation. And um, yeah, like it, for for me, this is why I wrote the letter and why I think there's there's such a big need for a broader, deeper, more nuanced conversation. And it's why I love the book because with being a woman in work is so complex and multifaceted and there are so many inputs into it right there's as you mentioned mental health there's the internet there's sexism there is the fact that you're the only when you're a female ceo you're othered because most of your peers are men there are so many um yeah inputs and factors that feed into the pressures and the environment that that female ceos have to exist in um and no one was having that conversation and i just felt really frustrated because i felt as if everybody was jumping on the bandwagon without any critical thought or critical thinking. I I was really frustrated by that. So I think I'd written like 10 or 12 tiny articles before I pulled them all together in the open letter. Um, And yeah, I I was shouting at myself as much as I was shouting at everyone else because I definitely had been like at the mercy of thinking I was inadequate because I wasn't quite fitting the girl boss mold. How do you think that we, as women, and yourself as well, as a successful woman, can can go against that culture in a way that I guess through this, I'm also saying I, I'm very much acknowledging the fact that I hugely profit off of this culture. So it's kind of like, how do I fight it and also make sure I'm not perpetuating it whilst recognising that it is also embodied by me and... I, yeah, I benefit hugely from it. Yeah, yeah, it's so tough, like that balance you have to strike. And I think 
all of us in some way benefit from girl boss culture, right? When I write VP marketing in my Instagram bio, and when I write the cool brands that I've worked with, I put ASOS on my CV and in my Twitter bio, mm. I'm benefiting from girl boss culture, right? Because I'm trying to communicate that, hey, I'm a successful working woman who also is an influencer and also works out. Like all of us in yeah. some way are profiting mm. from um, the, that kind of construct and the way I, I'm not sure what the, the the kind of great answer is, but the way that I try to combat it or balance it is as much as possible to show both sides. And mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to come on the internet when I'm having a panic attack because I did something wrong at work. However, I am going to speak to the realities of when work isn't that great. Or if something great does happen, I am going to maybe talk about how difficult it was to get there or the reality of what that milestone really looks like. Um, I think we just need more conversation around um, the less, the gritty stuff, right? Like, as I say in the letter, the gritty stuff to balance out the conversation about the glossy stuff. Because I also don't think that women should shrink themselves. I don't think that you, Grace, should not celebrate all of the incredible success you've had with your businesses and with your early the early days with your ebooks like those are accolades that deserve to be shouted about um and this is the duality with being a woman right like you don't see men being or you don't as often see mm. men being criticized for being men- male bosses <laughs> that's mm. not a construct that isn't a construct so there is a part of me that as much as i want us to rebalance the girl boss conversation i don't want women to shrink themselves and not celebrate their accolades as hard and as loud as men do Mm -hmm. i want to come back within within the letter about the idea of kind of like purpose and everything being purpose and passion fueled and all of that um do, do you believe you have a purpose i think the general conversation around finding your passion or discovering your purpose is quite toxic and difficult because a lot of people don't aspire to work. Like they don't dream of labor. We don't think, oh yeah, what is my dream? A lot of people just want to have an enjoyable, content, family oriented or travel oriented, whatever their, however they get their kicks. They wanna have a life that's filled with fun and hobbies and enjoyment. And quite often that doesn't include having a work purpose or a work passion. And that is okay. Like I remember for so long, um, I had conversations with friends who didn't feel like they had a specific purpose. And when the conversation is framed as, you need to discover your purpose or here are 10 tips to find your passion and you're Mm. not able to do that, you feel broken or like a Mm. failure. You're like, I'm not doing it right. Why don't I have a passion? And that is just not the case. Not everybody dreams of labor (laughs) or dreams of work. And I think um, that's okay. Like some people have innate abilities or they feel like they've got a singular direction in life. And some people have more explorative journeys that are less linear and both are okay finding fulfillment in the journey feels like a conversation that I can get down with so much more than what is your kind of endpoint passion or endpoint purpose. Yeah, well, it's because it's because it's turned from something that might genuinely be useful as a guiding force in your work to something that's incredibly marketable. So like within the purpose chapter, I kind of say the marketing of this purpose ideal as an aspirational must have has replaced a natural desire to find meaning and enjoyment in our working lives with the anxiety that if you're doing anything less than this financially, morally and emotionally superior way of life, you're doing it all wrong. So it's kind of like we've taken it from something that just helps us find joy in our work and helps us be like, oh, I like this. I enjoy this. Maybe 
this is part of my purpose because it gives me fulfillment on the other every day to another aspirational must-have another like box you have to tick where it's like actually for the large 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 majority of people work is about being able to pay the bills and being able to do other things you love as well and there is that is like extraordinarily valid and and I think also what I what I think about the idea of purpose for myself is it makes my work far too noble yeah yeah no you're so so right like my mum always says to me when I used to be younger and like an absolute stress head she used to always say shopper you don't work in A&E like you're writing emails and tweets like you need to chill out um and that's like that's the joy of 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 kind of almost decoupling your identity from your work a bit like you Mm. exist outside of your work outside of your output outside of whether you wrote you got good email open rates or didn't like um and I don't know. I just feel like that that's the kind of conversation that I want to have. One that decouples work from identity and also mm-hmm. celebrates the fact that um, work is play for the most part. Like, um, yeah. I it's a bit dark or morbid, but one of the things that always, always it's always useful for me to remind myself of is that like I'm gonna die. Everybody's gonna die, <laughs> and when I'm dying, I'm probably not going to care about whether. I succeeded in this tiny project at work or whether I managed to hit 50,000 followers. Like none of this stuff is life or death. It's all play. And um, yeah, it would do us all, me included, good to remind myself of that. And uh, yeah, just take the, yeah, the grandiosity and the heat out of work when um, for for, for a lot of us who are more privileged, it's not that, Mm. like it's not that. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com How has social media affected the way you work? Hmm, yeah. Um. I think it's caused there to be a real blending of... Um, boundaries and like leisure versus work so it's changed the way I work in the sense that everything almost kind of feels a little bit like work (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and that's because maybe it's because of kind of like um, I do content creation or influencer stuff on the side but um, there are no boundaries right and building your personal brand online for instance is a big tool um, that people tout or celebrate or encourage you to use to get better work in an offline environment to move up faster to make more money to gain more recognition and status building your online persona is useful for that so I have found that yeah there's been a real blurring of what is work and what isn't and I generally tend to feel like I'm kind of working most of the time um which yeah really isn't the healthiest I think and yeah it's definitely a work in progress for me to 
try and regain a bit of a balance. But um, yeah, the, the boundaries have kind of fallen out the window and down a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> and gone forever. But, but I think that's the thing, you know, it's the, it's exactly that. The lack of boundaries and the lack of delineation between work and not work has exactly led to this kind of Anne Helen Peterson burnout culture. It, yeah. That is what it is because they are one and the same. It's not because, you know, we think that we're working all the time when we're not. It's because the definition of work has seeped through beyond something that you on the one hand do to earn money and on the other hand to something that needs to be perpetuated every moment that you're not working as well in order to get the most out of the time you are working to mean that like it seems like some huge chore to reply to that person on Instagram whereas that that never should have been that and yeah. and I guess the difficulty is how we claw it back from that position or you know do we all just need to quit using work for social media or quit um social media altogether yeah yeah well I just I'm I'm because I can't um do it myself from my own will like it's kind of like when I'm when I'm working if I've got a cake in front of my face and it smells really good and the icing looks great I'm gonna want to eat the cake and that's what social media yeah. is like so um yeah do you <laughs> except <accept> less tasty <laughs> except less tasty yeah and more problematic um <laughs> yeah I do not disturb with my best friend Aeroplane mode is my best friend. Deleting apps is my best friend. Um, yeah, website blockers, like all of that. I just have to take where I can, take social media out of the equation so that I can build those boundaries back in. And it doesn't always work, but um, yeah, I take it out of the realm of self-control and just block myself from yeah. mixing. Because, and I, th I think you mentioned something really important there we have to notice and understand the limits of where our self-control come in and not and set ourselves up for success you can't just be like why do i always you know go back to scrolling on tiktok T tiktok <laughs> wow i sound like a boomer okay? the tiktok <laughs> the tiktok um, but but yeah you can't you can't just be surprised at this every time you have to set yourself up for a successful situation like that so for yeah. example i had tiktok for one weekend and now i don't and i i trust that my friends will send me the funny ones and they can download it and send it to me but other than that i would be setting myself up for failure by having that there and not just failure in procrastination and dis distraction but also failure in like the zapping of my brain and my creativity yeah. that comes from staring at a screen for something that is meant to hold your attention for six hours a day yeah. like that is you you can't put yourself in that situation and be surprised that you fail every time yeah. and for you there clearly what you've identified is like okay this doesn't work for me or i respond worse to this or i cannot resist this yeah that is more of a strength than a weakness because you're not saying i can't resist this like shit <laughs> i'm really weak you're saying i can't resist this so i make, won't make myself resist this i won't yeah. put myself in the situation where i have to resist this and i think that's really important i mean i used to delete the instagram app the whole time and then i realized it deleted my draft so now i just turn my notifications <laughs> off and um because you know th there's nothing worse than preparing you know a nicely nicely yeah. edited selfie with a good caption and then it's out the window so th there's a middle ground there i feel <laughs> yeah yeah it's about being realistic with yourself like i'm always calling myself out on my own BS so often. And mm. when you keep failing or something or you keep returning to an unproductive behavior, it's like when you keep texting an ex-boyfriend or like you keep going back to that <laughs> I don't guy know what who you're treats talking you. About. <laughs> <laughs> I have never <laughs> Yeah, me neither. This is like completely <laughs> hypothetical. Completely like, not from experience. Hypothetically speaking, 
this elusive ex-boyfriend that you might keep texting that doesn't want you. <laughs> um, yeah, you have to put boundaries in place, delete the number, right? And this, the same applies, right? You have to, um, as you mentioned, like build the right equipment around you so that you can get the job done that you want to get done. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I want to talk about kind of the shift in celebrity. So this is something mm-hmm. that we, um, you know, we talked about in our discussion of the book and the idea that celebrity has changed and been overly democratized to a point where the space between yourself and celebrity is like artificially closed. So it looks the same. It's in the same square as your friend from school and your first ever colleague and your grandpa if he's got to grips with his social media. Um, and, And I guess this, so this idea of celebrity, while it looks the same, is actually entirely different um, and cloaked in kind of relatability that doesn't actually exist. Has Do you find that that's affected your idea of self-worth or, or even, you know, even relating to your career? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like I... Um because of the way I was in academia and that like I was obsessed with the kind of top tier of the external validation, that kind of still is like a chip in the back of my brain in terms of how I navigate adult working life. And because of that phenomena, like I see um, this idea of celebrity being literally my neighbor. um, For me, it almost makes me feel like that's something that I should have done as well. Like I should be a celebrity mm. by now. It's not that hard. Like it's so close to me <laughs> that why why haven't I figured that out yet? You know, mm. and almost the the yeah the, the validation part of me kicks in because um, I have identified what is almost an external marker of success, and honestly, sometimes I then feel like I want to pursue that. So um, yeah, it's it it it. it, it puts comparison into overdrive Um, and um, it really warps our idea of what is reality. So within that, I guess, um, when you spend your life and career on social media, how do you think we can not compare or not become part of the system that fosters comparison? I think really, I have a very loud internal voice. So like an external mm-hmm. voice. Like I, I talk to myself a lot out loud and inside <laughs> my brain. Um, and I constantly remind myself almost of my unique journey and experience, experiences and why they are so different to everyone else I see outside. And that's why everyone else I see outside and what they're achieving isn't going to be what's a good fit for me. Um, and maybe mm-hmm. like sometimes some of us must have experienced this. Like I have acquired things or reached milestones that I thought I really wanted. And when I had them, I was like, this doesn't even feel good for me. Like this yeah. isn't even suited to my lifestyle or my my philosophy or what I aspire to. Um, so there's no point, right? There's no point. And maybe it takes a few of those experiences to, to get there. Like maybe it takes a few mm. times of acquiring something you thought you wanted because you saw it in an external environment before you realize that what's outside isn't necessarily what is good for you on the inside. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my voice is really loud and I just try and remind myself that um, who Chopin is and Chopin's personal world yeah. and what Chopin needs is, is unique and not what I'm seeing yeah. on the internet. And I think it's particularly what I think about a lot is like 
most things that you hear in life, you hear like, oh, when you get older, you realize it this better, or like you realize that you care more about this, or you become better at not doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And that cannot be said about social media because we haven't existed with social media for long enough for us to know, like, not even like the long-term effects. It's not about that. It's that, you know, everyone probably from my age up to probably about 10 years above me. So I'd say, yeah. you know, the, the older Gen Z and the younger millennial bracket yeah. has lived with social media for the same amount of time and yeah. has grown up with social media for the same amount of time. So hopped on it pretty much as soon as it really existed yeah. and kind of have been with the growth of it. So we don't really know, like we can't, which is why I think there's such a huge group of people experiencing a lot of these problems now because it's not based on an age it's not based on a like all of this it's based on an era it's based on a kind of a a culture that has been created within this time so it's like I'll fight I'll fight against it or not necessarily I'll fight against it that makes it sound like so grand and everything but I'll kind of like working out how to navigate it and operate alongside it is also stifled by the fact that we have not, we have nothing to learn from. Yeah. We have nothing to, we're kind of just like hypothesizing, like maybe it will be better if we do this. And then we try it and then we say, okay, great. But even I feel like the conversation about social media hasn't moved from don't, just don't use it to, um, to like, okay, this is how we use it better before the last few years at all. I wouldn't say it's been constructive in that direction at all, which is why I feel like, I mean, it's exciting now to be at this point that we are discussing this and that so many people are resonating with it. But it's Mm -hmm. also like bearing in mind that we have to give ourselves a bit of time and we have to give ourselves a bit of understanding to kind of go, okay, but none of us have been through this yet. So none of us have the answers. Yeah. Yeah, there is no precedent. Like there's no Mm. map. We can't look at what people did 20 years ago and replicate it. Like we are living, This is it's a live social experiment. Social media is a live social experiment. Like none of us know what, even when it comes to attention spans, right? And our ability to focus and the impact on creativity that these notifications have, no one has any bloody idea like what the long-term impact of that is. Um, So yeah, you're absolutely right. I think compassion is key. Even when you're dealing with your personal relationship with social media and figuring out what works for you, um, it's, yeah, it's a journey. Like that, unfortunately, there is no, there is no roadmap. As much as I would love there to be, I don't, yeah, there, there isn't one. In the interest of being realistic about work, what is the biggest mistake that you feel you've made at work? I think it's not having the bravery to admit when I needed help or when Mm. I think we needed to change course. So this was really early on in my career. Okay, quick story time. Really on in my career, I was working in a marketing department. I was an associate. We were doing our first press launch. So we just raised a lot of money and we wanted to launch it to press. But neither I nor the people that I was working for had the foresight to understand that we probably needed to engage an agency or a freelancer. Mm-hmm. So we just said, shop A, you as an 18 year old with no contact in press or no experience whatsoever in speaking to journalists, go and get us into the papers. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and good. Uh, I was like, yeah, of course, totally. I can do that. I love a challenge, you know, me being overzealous and young. And uh, anyway, it was a very traumatic 
five, six day period of me doing the nuttiest things to try and get in front of journalists. Um, yeah. Having about two or three panic attacks, crying on the phone to my mum, and just generally having a very traumatizing time because I didn't have the confidence or the wherewithal to say, hey, I don't think this is a good idea. I need more resource mm-hmm. or we need to bring in, um, yeah, more resource or an agency uh, and equip ourselves so that we can do the job properly. So, um, yeah, for me, it's when you're young and when you're early, not having the confidence to tell senior management that you need to change course. I wish, and I did that quite a lot in smaller in smaller instances as well. I would have loved to have um, had a bit more of a voice with yeah. regards to that and, stuff. And I guess... What what would you tell someone who needs to develop more of that voice now in terms of that talking? I know we've touched on yeah. this slightly, but in terms of that, um, you know, either when you make a mistake or when you're given something that, you know, you would love to be like ambitious and say like, yes, I can do this, but also be able to manage expectations. I think yeah. there is also this culture in entry level work that it's I mean it is it's literally like the dumping ground people just dump any piece of work there and say like this needs to be done and aren't interested in a no but it shouldn't really be a no sometimes it should just be a productive conversation about okay well how can we do this better or how can we make this more realistic what would you yeah like what what have kind of become your driving factors in being able to say like no or I need more or I you know we need to change this I a always have to remind myself that I deserve to be in the room. When you feel comfortable and confident in your position, you're much more able to disagree or suggest otherwise because you don't feel like you're gonna get fired. So like building up your confidence around your competence, I think is really powerful. Um, And on the flip side, when it comes to practical suggestions, don't just come with, this is a bit controversial, but I would suggest don't just come with problems, come with a solution. So 100%. Um, what management don't want to hear is something isn't working. That's that, that, that's why they employ you to make it, ha- make it happen. <laughs> so mm. um, I always try and come with a solution or a suggestion for a couple of solutions that we can workshop to get to um, an outcome that we're both happy with. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I just want to do a few quick fire, hardly working questions. Number one, Netflix or a walk? A walk. After work, a cup of tea or a glass of wine? Glass of wine, me. I love wine. You can see them in the corner. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) A bit of me. Um, (laughs) Letting off steam, a workout or a night out? A workout for letting off steam. Um, Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. I'm a raging introvert. Performative extrovert. Yeah. (laughs) So... I want to talk about rest a bit. So the art yeah. of doing nothing. Um, mm-hmm. I know I know you enjoyed this chapter within the book. Thank you. Yes, um, what is your art of doing nothing? My art of doing nothing is um, being very intentional about the nothing doing. So I think you touched mm-hmm. on this in your book, but if I say to myself, Chopin, you need to rest, what that doesn't entail is like me collapsing into a heap after work and watching five hours of Netflix. That mm-hmm. kind of feels good temporarily, but I don't wake up in the morning feeling restored or recharged or any better for it. Um, so yeah, my art of doing nothing is always quite intentional and I try and do things that I love. So I'll go and see my friends that, and, and like put my phone in a cupboard or you know reduce mm-hmm. the screen time or I'll go for a walk. I'll go for an exercise class. Like I love a good group exercise class. So I'll go for a spin or a Barry's class. Um, And yeah, I'll do things that make me feel good. 
that's kind of the only thing I optimize for. Like do something that makes you feel good during, but also after. Would you say you're good at taking time off? Am I good at taking time off? Uh, I've definitely got better. I don't know if Mm. I'm good, but um, it kind of feeds into the discipline thing. Like I'm always assessing my work environment and assessing how I feel. And if I feel like something is off, then I will book time off. At the beginning of this year, I've been a lot more intentional and proactive with it because last year I burnt out and had to take like five weeks off work and it was the whole thing. I kind of learnt my lesson (laughs) last year and this year I'm a lot more proactive. So I'm, I'm preemptive, right? Like when I start to sense myself feeling a bit stressed, not quite sleeping right, not quite eating on time, I will... Um, schedule rest and since that stint of kind of burnout then what what rules have you put in place in order to combat that moving forwards unless it's a really serious project I have a hard cap on when Mm. I stop working in the evening because I used to just let everything kind of blend into one Um, and I always take my mornings to myself so it doesn't matter what time I'm starting work or what I have to do I need to go for a workout or I need to go for a walk or I need to meditate or I need to listen to a podcast but I need to start the morning doing something for myself just to make me feel Mm. like I'm in control of my day and I'm not at the mercy of my email inbox. Yeah, no, for sure. I think what's really interesting is that a lot of the people I've talked to now for this um, podcast, it's, there's like something interesting in the idea of sitting with successful people and being like, how do you avoid burnout? And, And then being like, oh yeah, I've been nearly burnt out, but now this is what I do. And then it's also like, okay, but clearly working that hard to that extent has also informed some of your success. Yeah, no, you're so right. And this is something that I thought about a lot and almost gave me the heebie-jeebies, like the idea that if I did slow down or take a more balanced approach to work, will I still be as successful as I have been in the past? Um, and I and I guess part, that's part of the answer as well, is that it's not because we're all burning out because you have to burn out in order to be successful. It's that we've created a culture in which the style of work that leads to burnout is the only acceptable style of work. Do you feel like your way of working now, rather than being like working less hard, is just working better now kind of post-burnout? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um... When it comes to the hours, the intensity and the creativity of how I work, I feel as if I'm still hitting my personal expectations in terms of, you know, delivering great work and delivering great output. But I'm so much more intentional with how I design my days. I think you were you were, you were just mentioning um, a similar thing, which is it's actually productive for me to rest. It's actually productive mm. for me to switch off my laptop at a certain time. It's productive for me to change my context and go and work out and go and see my friends. Um, and it's not that I should optimize my whole life in pursuit of productivity, but it is useful as somebody who cares about work and cares about working mm. hard. Like work is an important part of my life for better or for worse. Um, organizing my life so that I can do good work is important for me so yeah I think I just work better and I've um I've successfully tapped out of this idea of you know sleep when you're dead rise and grind kind of vibe and um (laughs) can work hard and rest hard right like work hard and feel and still be in good spirits thank you Shoffo so much for coming on you have been a fantastic guest and I have 
thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I'm, I think a lot of people will take a lot away from this. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom um, before this podcast and during and after. Um, I know lots of people will want to be following exactly what you're doing after this. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Working Hard, Hardly Working. I have been Grace Beverly and you can find me at Grace Beverly, L-E-Y, remember that one, on Instagram and on LinkedIn if you are that way inclined. Please, after listening to this episode, it really, really helps if you can leave a review, particularly on Apple Podcasts. That seems to be the best way to help out a podcast at the moment. But please like the episode, subscribe, share it, tag me, tag your friends do whatever you want to do, but spread the word and let me know what you'd like to see next on any of my social platforms. Just get in touch. I'd love to talk about some more interesting things. So shoot your suggestions my way and I will see you next time. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com